How to build a marriage. How many know that uh, marriage is marriage is work? It is. And uh, when you're young and uh, looking at the other person, you, work is not even in your vocabulary until about week six. Sometimes it's day six. But anyway, uh, in the beginning, the Bible says that God created Adam. And uh, he gave Adam a really, really big job. He had dominion over all the animals, over the fish and the fowl, cattle. And he also uh, gave him a garden to tend to, to take care of, to guard, and uh, to bring everything into subjection. In other words, to take care of everything. I mean, that is a big, huge responsibility and a big job. And so uh, he looked down at Adam and um, said, Adam, you need help. So I don't know if he wasn't able to take care of everything or do everything, but he said that you need a helpmate. And so he gave him Eve. And uh, Eve was not uh, substandard to Adam. In other words, God didn't create Adam up here and Eve down here. The Bible says that he created them, both Adam and Eve, male and female, in the image of God. So I want to make sure that uh, this series that nobody gets the idea that Satan can't let you twist things that we're saying that make you think that Adam's up here and Eve's down here or vice versa, you know, that uh, we're here together, both of us, male and female, created in the image of God. So um, you would think since this was God's idea, you know, and it wasn't a mistake, it wasn't something God did it and said, ooh, that was not a good idea. <laughs> I should not have created her. I should have just left things as they were. There's no record of that, so we're going to assume that God thought it was an awesome idea and he created. So you would think that for every man and woman walking down the aisle, um, ready to embark on life together, ready to live happily ever after, that... It would be great since it was God's idea, right? <laughs> he gets good ideas. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's one thing. As much as people prepare you ahead of time, when it gets into the work of marriage and the kind of work that marriage is, <laughs> I mean, you give me a floor to clean, and, buddy, I can clean. You can have spilled all sorts. I can scrub. I can pry. It's not that kind of work. <laughs> It's the work of self-control. It's the work of speaking words of encouragement when you just don't really feel them on the inside of you. And so um, if it was easy, then we'd be celebrating 50-year anniversaries all the time, wouldn't we? Every single weekend we'd have one, another one to go. It'd be like, oh, no, not another one of those. But, I mean, think about it in the last, think about in the last, um, let's just say two years, how many 50-year anniversaries have you been to? Not a lot. You go to the greeting card section. If someone makes it to 50 years, you go to find a card, and how many cards do you have to choose from? You better want to say what that card says because <laughs> there's not a lot of selection. And so um, even though this was God's idea, we really have to, number one, work at marriage, and then once we work at marriage, we have to fight hard 
for the ground that we've taken, for the place that we've arrived at. You know, anytime today, I have a garden. I love to garden. And um, if I decide not to go look at my garden for a couple weeks, not a garden. things happen. <laughs> There are weeds, there are bugs, all sorts of things. And so I tried, the first time I ever, I never heard of a tomato worm until I planted an entire garden of tomatoes one time. That's all I planted. I probably, I planted them from seeds. I didn't know that you weren't supposed to do that in Colorado. I thought I would actually get them to grow up all the way, starting in May and all that. Well, I just planted them, put some water on them. I went, I'm waiting for my red tomatoes. <laughs> one day I go out there. And there's no leaves on my plants at all. And upon closer inspection, I discovered the dreaded tomato worm. He'd gotten into my tomatoes and eaten them because I wasn't watching. I wasn't guarding. I wasn't tending. And so as much as we build our marriages, we work, we build them, we work at them. If you decide, I'm going on a vacation for a while, you know, I'm going to just take a little me time. It's going to be about me for the next two months. Honey, by the time you get back, that thing is going to be a mess, and so your marriage takes work, and you have to fight for it. So um, one of the greatest things, one of the first things you have to do in marriage is understand why you're created and understand your roles in marriage. If you don't get this right, and you, I'm going to tell you what, you're not going to find it outside of the Bible in church. Okay? You're not going to hear this anywhere else. Don't go to the library. Don't check out books. You're not going to find it. Okay? You're going to find it in the Bible, and that is that God created man and woman. He created them both with specific purposes. He uh, created them with different giftings and abilities, and he expected them to work together. It wasn't his mess up. It was a great idea. And so for things to flow well, we need to really learn to uh, to cooperate with how God created us. Now, how many of you know what a grapefruit spoon is? I was really shocked first service. I think none of the we have we have more knew. now. So, a grapefruit spoon obviously was designed to eat grapefruits with, and it is a spoon that looks similar to a teaspoon but it has serrated edges on both sides so that when you've got that perfect grapefruit that's the wonderful sweetness, the one you picked out, and you want to get every little bitty, teeny, tiny bit of pulp out of that thing, you use your grapefruit spoon and it scrapes and scrapes and scrapes until you get it off. So I have four. We have four people living in our house. I have four grapefruit spoons, and when we have grapefruit, I want to find all four, but I never find all four. Do you know why I don't find all four? No. I don't find all four. We, we established that someone was a guilty party first service. Someone, I keep them with the teaspoon so they'll be easy to locate because they're similar in all respects to a teaspoon except the serrated edges. But when I go to find my grapefruit spoons, they're nowhere to be found. They're hidden from me in other places of the kitchen so that he won't have the unpleasant task of reaching for a teaspoon, going to eat a bowl of cereal or something, and he feels those rough edges on it. No, it doesn't hurt, Jeremy. It's just ever so slightly unpleasant. <laughs> there have been no injuries in our house from grapefruit spoons. So... 
a grapefruit spoon, you can, in theory, you can eat a bowl of soup with it. But it's slightly unpleasant yes. while you do it. It can do it. It can fill the function, but it's just not like be. a regular spoon is. And so in marriage, as we understand, women can do a lot of things that men can do. And men can do a whole lot of things that women can do. I mean, we can fill the roles. We can. I Sue, how are you coming along with backing up horse trailers? You're really good. See, I, no, no. That's what, if, if I ever did something bad and they wanted to punish me, that's what they would ask me to do, is back up, not only pull forward driving, but backing up a horse trailer of all things. I mean, I'm sure I could, no, I don't think I could do not it. Not with mine. <laughs> if I had wide open spaces, you know, but our, we really need to learn what our role is because that is what we are best suited for. That's where we're going to find the most peace. That's where we're going to find, oh, you know, I'm fitted for this. I'm gifted for this. I'm suited for this. This feels natural to me. That's where we're going to find our greatest comfort. I wouldn't want her to back up my truck. But anyway, moving right along, Ephesians 5.22. She does many other things that are gifted and talented. Backing up is not one of them. This is a pretty famous scripture for men. Uh... Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands. And usually it just stops right there. But it says, As to the Lord, for the husband... Yeah, nobody even knows what yeah, the, that was the end of the chapter. That was the end of the whole chapter. Uh, the, end of the end of the Bible. But uh, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be their own to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify, cleanse. Cleanse her with washing of water by the word, that he might present her to her, himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy, without blemish. So, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So one of the roles of the husband is to be a leader. And uh, some men go, yeah, I've been waiting for you to minister this, pastor. This is, if you're thinking that, then you probably do not have a clue as what leadership truly is because Jesus modeled leadership. And like Melody said, you're not going to get this uh, definition of leadership in the world. You will not. But Jesus gives us the definition of leadership in Luke chapter 22. He said uh, his disciples got together and there was a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And they weren't talking about Muhammad Ali. They were talking about one another. And so they said, Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. 
For who is greater, the one who is at the table, the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I'm among you as one who serves. So Jesus said, yeah, the world's going to look like, yeah, you need to serve me. I'm the leader. But Jesus had this attitude, and he said, that is not the way it is in my kingdom. In my kingdom, the leader is going to be the one who serves. And all the women said, that, that was your moment of glory right there. But um, so leadership does not mean dictator, you do what I say. Leadership means how can I serve you? How can I make things better? How can I be make our home, make things greater for our family? That's what I want to do. So Jesus has always led the church, but he's always served the church. Jesus came not to be served, but he said, I came to serve. Man, he says, this is a great mystery about the church and Jesus Christ. So men, you know, you look at this, you think, man, this is a tough assignment. But two weeks ago, we talked about grace. God's power, God's grace is inside of us, upon us. And we have grace to be the husbands that we need to be. We have grace to be the wives that wives need to be. So, uh... Jesus modeled how we should lead. Amen. And so if the, a man was designed and fashioned, created by God to be the leader in his home, to, to be the one who is giving direction, giving stability, he's protecting that home, he's securing it. Uh, God, you know, remember we're back in the garden and... I do really like the scripture. God looked down and said, it's not good that man is alone. And I think it, I don't know what happened <laughs> that made him say that. We don't know if he misplaced the camel. We don't know if he was he trying to. He couldn't find a camel. He couldn't That's find, what we couldn't don't find know. It. But for some reason, God looked down and said, it is not good that he's by himself. And so he created a woman to help him. And that is not something that is subservient it's just a fact that that is what you were created to be to be a helper i like helping helpers do y'all like having helpers yeah i like having awesome helpers and so there's nothing wrong with that um and so pastor pulled up so actually some statistics he pulled these up fellas i didn't pull these up all right so um in order to help this man it says that women have been shown to have a three percent higher IQ than men, you know. The Lord just knew that <laughs> we were going to have to be able to outthink him in certain areas, you know, because men can just do things. My fellas can, they can create messes. It takes a genius in order to fix them and, and restore them to their order. Uh, women speak three times more words a day, usually in our home. That's not true unless I feel like talking. And then I talk a lot. But if I don't feel like talking, I don't talk a lot. He always feels like talking. He always talks a lot. Um, women are more detail-oriented. Uh, details, it, that's probably the whole garden thing. That's probably why we were made in the first place is because, you know, we need someone to take care of details. And, you know, I don't know how many of y'all, but... In my house, men folk, my other two men folk are sitting over here. They don't see crumbs on counters. They're invisible. They just don't exist, you know. They don't see, you know, the mayonnaise smeared, nothing like that, you know. So 
God gifted us and equipped it, equipped, equipped that's what you get when you live with a Kentuckian for all these years. You get equipped. That's what happens to you. Hallelujah. So, <laughs> the plan was for us to improve his grammar, not for the reverse to happen. That was the plan when we got married. But we became so one. We, yeah. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> help us. So a woman has a strong intuition that has been placed in her. She knows that disaster is imminent. She says, honey, you shouldn't, I don't think, get me the first aid kit. <laughs> you know, she just knows. She has this knowing something bad's about happening. You shouldn't be doing that. And Or uh, just with certain things with children, honey, I think you need to spend time with this kid. I think he needs some time with his dad. Why? Did he say anything? No. I just think he needs time with his dad. Just kind of like this knowing that's on the inside of a woman. There was a study done at a couple of universities that says women are better learners. Remember, he came up with this, not me. Okay, I'm just reading what he wrote for me to tell you. So it says women are better learners. They have a better approach to expanding their minds. According to researchers, they tend to be more attentive, flexible, and organized. So at work, they're more likely to understand the task at hand better than their male coworkers. So, the Lord, all of those things, all it means, it doesn't mean, you know, because a man was made the leader, doesn't mean he's superior to a woman. Somebody's got to lead the thing, and so God equipped him to do it. Um, all of these statistics doesn't mean a woman is like, you might be the leader, but I'm smarter than you. No, that's not the point. The point is that God equipped you to do what he designed you to do so you'd be successful. I mean, I don't know about you, but I hate being in a situation where I'm facing something where... It takes all my faith to believe that I can be successful at this. I mean, I want to I want to do well at whatever I do. And so God has equipped us to do that. So the ways that a woman can be a helper to her husband really are unlimited. It's going to play out differently um, in many, many, many families. There's going to be some things that are kind of constants, like crumbs on the countertop. Um, but there are other things that are just going to play out differently. And all of you men who are really, really tidy, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be offensive. Uh, I know y'all exist, just not in my app. So. Uh, so there are unlimited ways that she can help. So through the years, just looking at our own home, our, our own situation, uh, as many of you know, Mike was married before his wife was killed in a car accident. He was left with Danielle. And so... As soon as we were married, I'm going to tell you what, <laughs> there were a lot of responsibilities where Danielle was concerned that were transferred over to me immediately. It's like, unpack your bags from the honeymoon. <laughs> Take care of this child, you know. Uh, we, didn't have a, we didn't have some conversation that said, oh, well, she's your child, so maybe you should stay at home with her and I'll work. We didn't have a conversation like that. It was assumed. Uh, I would be staying home. I would be taking care of her. I worked some in between, but it was my responsibility to make sure that she was taken care of. So taking care of our children, teaching our children through the through the years um, has been on and off my responsibility. Homeschooling at different times as the need arose. Um, creating a home. You know, when Mike and I were dating, the first time I went into his apartment, uh, it, it was, was awesome. tidy. It was. It was tidy. I thought it was always that way. It wasn't always that way. But the first time I it's went in, be here any minute now. There was. They walk in. Everything's tidy. There's a couch and there's a seat here. 
And so I just walked in, and I'm just about to sit in the seat when he and his roommate say, No! Don't sit in the seat! What? And they had this chair. It was like an easy chair in their living room that had a cushion on it, but there was nothing underneath. But they thought it made their apartment look nice. Yes, hallelujah. Look good. Look good. But there always had to be someone stationed there to warn, don't sit in the seat that looks nice. Just for looks. And so it's a woman's, yeah, look how confused her she is. She just doesn't even understand, honey. She doesn't. And I didn't either, and so that's why a, a woman would never have that. You know, it's like, honey, I know. Either fix the chair, give it a bottom or we're getting rid of it, but it's a, a, a woman who can bring structure and a warmth and create a home that's a place where people want to be with safe chairs to sit in that will actually hold you up if you, uh, if you sit in them. So, you know, when we first moved here to Pueblo, it had always been our understanding that <clears throat> earning the living was his responsibility. I always helped out some, but he always let me know from the time that we were dating, that it was his responsibility. If I ever didn't want to work, I never had to. And I really, really liked that. And when we moved here to Pueblo, we were kind of getting started from scratch. And he said, you know, could you work? I was going to anyway, but now I feel like I have to. But you know what? For a year, that's what I needed to do to be a help to my husband. Could have been longer. I mean... We were very, very blessed that it wasn't longer than that that I had to hold out a, a second, you know, another job separate from the work at the church. But all of these things play out in different ways at different times. But bottom line, God was uh, created women to be a help to their husbands. So a woman, you can be super capable. You can learn all sorts of talents in this. You can have an IQ that's 3% higher, but guess what? God still did not create you to head to home. You know, it might look like it on paper. <laughs> you might be able to figure it out on paper, but you're going to find that there's no gifting there for you, and there's a lot of strife and friction if you try to step into that role. So I wanted to look at these statistics, really, that in our culture, um, unless you've been just hiding in a hole and not coming out, you will have noticed that um, there is very little value in our world placed on men in the home. Very little. It's almost like they are not essential. We can do this with or without you. <laughs> Either way. Uh, you know, But you won't find that in the Bible. You won't find that in God's Word. And the thing that's kind of interesting if you read the Word is that you will find that God's hand was on a lot of men throughout history that weren't perfect. Them being perfect wasn't one of the requirements for them. It wasn't like, okay, I'll follow him if he makes all the right choices. Uh, it, God worked with their imperfections, and he will work with the imperfections of your husbands and you fellas if you're here today. He will, he will work with you to be a leader, to be ahead, even if you don't have every single thing perfect in your life. So these are some awesome um, statistics. I'll look at my paper here since I don't think it better anyway. Um, number one, this is a, a survey that was done by the Swiss government, and part of their survey was just, it was seeing the impact of parental involvement on 
uh, the future religious commitment of their children. So here we see the first one. We have the scenario of a father and mother attending church regularly together, both of them. As that played out, 33% of their children continued to be faithful, regular attenders in church uh, after them. 41% attended church irregularly, and 25% did not attend church at all. Okay, that's with both mother and father attending together faithfully. So we change one variable here. We have a father who is an irregular attender and a mother who still, she's there every Sunday. She attends regularly. Immediately, do you see that drop? 3% of the children follow uh, being regular attenders at church. 59% are still attending irregularly, but now we went from 25% to 38% of those children really not actively walking with the Lord. Now we change one more variable. We have where the father doesn't attend at all, and the mother attends very regularly still, and we have 2% of the children attend regularly, 37 irregularly, and a 60 do not attend church or not actively walking with the Lord at all. Okay? So then, the, don't get all depressed about that or anything. <laughs> if your situation doesn't really line up with that because, you know, there's some pretty good percentages in there anyway. But this is really what our goal is looking at. When we changed all these variables and we had a father who attended church regularly, and the mother was an irregular attender, 38% of their children versus, you remember when the roles were reversed, it was 3%? Now it's 38% of the children are walking actively with the Lord. Uh, then we have a father who attends regularly, and the mother doesn't attend at all. It actually goes up. From discussion on this, it was almost like there was a response in the children of towards mom not supporting dad and going to church. So they align with him uh, and just get even more committed to going to church with mom not participating at all. And then when we look at fathers attending irregularly and the mother doesn't attend, uh, we still have 25%, which is still much higher than, than what it was with the other ones. Another study was done by the Baptist Press. Are you wanting to interject something? No, go ahead. You're just super interested in what I'm saying. Uh, I get that. Much. That's so awesome. All right. So the Baptist Press study, they did a, also did a study, and this was just mind-boggling to me. But if a mother became a Christian first in the family, there was a 17% probability that her family would follow her into the kingdom of God. But when the father came to Christ first, 93% probability that the family would follow him into the kingdom of God, would follow his commitment, follow his example. That, that is nothing but the God-given ability in a man to lead. Wherever you go, they're going to follow you. You lead them in good places, that's where they're going to follow you. You don't, they're going to follow you. 
God placed that responsibility in man uh, to be able to lead and to influence their families. Having said all of that, we don't want the women to get in a ditch and think, oh, so I can't be a leader, so I can't be in charge of things. We are not saying that. The Bible is not saying that. If you read Proverbs 31, she was a businesswoman. That woman knew how to make money. That was, she, was, she was 100%, you know, helping the family, but the woman was a leader in her own right. So we're not saying, ladies, oh, well, I, I should quit my job. I should quit my business. No, we're not saying that at all. So everybody not getting in a ditch on us, all right? But uh, we're just talking about men. You don't need to just say, well, I'm going to let my wife do everything. But I will say this. There's a scripture. It's going to be on next week's uh, message that even though the man is the leader, the woman is in charge or she is the manager of the home. She's the manager of the home. We'll talk about that next week. But uh, we just want to know for the men and the women these godly roles so that we can walk these out. Uh, and so there's times that uh, there's men will neglect their responsibility as far as the spiritual side of it. Well, that's my wife's department. Well, that's good, but men, we need to take up the role as being the spiritual guide as well, amen? And so, um, there's divine assignments for men, divine assignments for, for ladies, but the Bible says in that one scripture that you read in verse 33, it says, loving her as himself. Loving her as himself. Love is not a feeling, it's something that you do, and that word love Obviously, it means unconditional love, or it's not love at all. So, men, we are to take care of, provide, and do everything that we can without any, I know this is going to be difficult, expectation of something in return. Usually, the way marriage is set up is, I'll do this if you'll do this. I'll do this. And did you know it's totally wrong? What if Jesus said, I'm going to come down and die for you all if... You guys show me some respect and do some things for me. He didn't do that. He said, I'm coming down there and giving my life for you, giving everything for you before and while you were unrighteous and while you were sinners, I'm giving everything to you. I'm giving you the kingdom. You don't deserve it. I know you don't deserve it, but I'm giving it to you. That's called the grace of God. Men, you have grace to love your wife unconditionally. You have the grace of God to do everything without any kind of response whatsoever. And all the women said, Ladies, you have grace as well upon your lives. But so when you think about that, I mean, just think about that for a minute. The, the direction that's been given to a man to love his wife as he loves himself. Do you realize what that... The magnitude of that? <laughs> it's pretty huge. That means whatever I would really like done for me, that's what I'm going to do for you. It means whatever I would like to have for me, that's what I'm going to try to get for you. I, want, I told him I wanted to share this this morning, but um, when I graduated my daddy bought me a little Honda Civic, and it was used, but I had never thought about having my very own car, so I was super excited about this little Honda Civic. 
And um, it had a lot of miles on it already, but I put a ton more on it. I just went anywhere and everywhere that I wanted all zip back and forth to Texas from Oklahoma to see my grandparents. And so um, one day, y'all remember those old car washes that used to just beat the car out of your car? They're like giant rags that attacked your car as you drove through. Well, one day I went through, I kept my car super clean. Uh, I went through it, and it I guess it had just taken all it could take, and it took off the last layer of paint it had on it. So now my little Honda it had... No paint on the hood, the trunk, or the roof. <laughs> Looked ugly. Just, yeah, it didn't look very ugly. pretty. But I, it still, you know, you put the key in it, and you turned it, and it ran, and that was my requirement for a good car. That's all I needed, you know. And so I'm happy in my little car. And so Mike and I started dating, and he was in my car one day, and he said, What is wrong with this car? Absolutely nothing. This car is perfect. This is my little Honda Civic that my daddy gave me. It's a perfect car. And he said, oh, Melody, this is not how. Now, my parents are missionaries. I was raised in Africa, so we drive on dirt roads. I'm used to going like this. All my life, I've gone like this in a car. And he, he said, this is not the way the car is supposed to be. And but I still love my little car. Well, he had a big fancy car. It was, what was it? It was a cup. It was a Cutlass Supreme. Cutlass Supreme, and new. It, new. Don't forget He new. got his car new, not but new. his daddy did not buy it for him. He had to buy it for himself. And it had special speckly paint and a couple, like, tones and fancy wheels, which he quickly taught me were far superior to hubcaps. Hallelujah. As long as it covers up the screws, I, you know, I just didn't get it. So he... Anyway, so we go on dates in his nice car. We obviously didn't go in my car, but, you know, it was nice, but I loved my little Honda. And so we'd be married a couple weeks, and one day he said, bring me your keys. So I brought him my keys, and he took my key off, my little Honda key, and he took off his cutlass key, and he put his cutlass key on my key ring, and he put my key on his ring, and he said, now from now on, you drive the cutlass, and I drive the Honda. I'll drive my little Honda. I don't mind, honest. I didn't pay a penny for that nice car. I No, I'm okay. Nope. This is the way it's going to be. You driving the Cutlass, I'm driving the Honda. I thought about walking. He really, really likes cars. And he cares more about things than the key turning and it moving. Uh, you know, and I didn't realize then like I do now, what a sacrifice that that was for him to put me first, to love me as he would love himself. Now, understanding the man and his car thing, I look back and I think, wow, that was a really, really big sacrifice for him, especially at that point in time uh, in our lives. But that's a big thing that the Lord has asked of men is to really lead by loving and by serving and, you know, the least that we can do as women is to cooperate. But, you know, we like to cooperate with a lot of people. We have our friends. We like to cooperate with them. We've got our family. We like to cooperate with them. But something can happen to us when it's our husband, and we just 
are always kind of coming up with better ideas. You know what? I think we should do it this way. I don't think we should do it that way. You know, we need to cooperate with them. So if you don't, it's going to cost you. So this is many moons ago, and I'd like to believe that I'm a much more mature woman. We'll discuss that later. But for all y'all, I've matured a lot. But, you know, we were first married. I thought we were heading to Africa. I was heading to Africa, and he was coming along, you know, um, because, of course, I heard from God. And he said he really didn't feel like that's what, where we were supposed to be then. He was good enough that he took me all the way to Africa for us to feel it out, all three of us. That was a pretty... That was pretty big of him. Take us all there, and we both agreed, yeah, this isn't where we're supposed to be right now. So I had, you got to understand, I had spent my entire life jumping continents, jumping countries. My parents were missionaries. We went to boarding school in another country, and then we come back to the States for a while, and then we go back here. We go back home, and then my parents at one point were covering two mission stations. So sometimes we go to this mission station. Sometimes we go to that mission station for vacation. So I'd been jumping my whole life, and when he said, okay, we're not going to Africa, I put down all my roots, every last one. I dug in. And then in two years, he came to me and he said, you know, I feel like we're supposed to go to Africa. And you know what I said? I said, no. I wanted to go to Africa two years ago, and you said no. And now, no. I'm happy. This is what I told him. I'm happy. Danielle's happy. Get happy. And so I continued to be happy, and he didn't say anything else about that to me for six months. In first service, I said he didn't speak to me for six months. He said, that is not true. And it wasn't true. But he didn't talk to me about it again. And so six months later, we were sitting in church, and the pastor was preaching to us about women submitting to your husbands. I felt so convicted. Oh, my heart was just torn up all service, and so when we got back home, I said, I thought he'd forgotten about it, honestly. I said, honey, you know, if you feel like we're supposed to go to Africa, then we'll go. He didn't stop. He didn't breathe. He didn't pause. He said, okay, we're going now. But we're going? <laughs> I thought you forgot about that. You know what? That put us on a six-month delay because I had dug in my heels. Mm, I'm not going. Mm -mm, that's not God. <laughs> If it was God, he would have told me. <laughs> I had my fingers in my ears. He couldn't have told me anything about that. But, you know, that put us on a six-month delay. We, The Lord really had, it's not always this way, but the Lord really had us on a timetable, and we need to, to get there at a certain point in time, which he knew. And um, it put us behind six months, which meant that we really took off not as prepared as we should have been because I dug in my heels and I wouldn't cooperate with the man letting him direct a family. But having said that, you know, men are not dictators. I would never went to her and said, "Well, this is what the Lord said, so we're going no matter what." That would not have been that would not have been love. So men, you, you are not dictators. You're just like Jesus. Jesus gives us free will. You need to give your wife free will. You're not going to go to her and say, you do what I say. That's not love. Jesus doesn't do that. Neither do men. Amen. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, 
It says, in like manner, you married women, be submissive to your own husbands, and subordinate yourselves as being secondary to and dependent on them, and adapt yourselves to them, so that even if any do not obey the word of God, they may be won over, not by discussion, not by the godly lives of their wives. When they observe the pure and modest way in which they conduct, you conduct yourselves, together with your reverence for your husband, you are to feel for him. All that reverence includes to respect, defer, revere, honor, esteem, appreciate, prize, and in human sense to adore him. That is, to admire, praise, be devoted to, deeply love, and enjoy your husband. You may think, good night, man. God really wants wives to do a lot. Can I just be honest? The man's role is much, much greater than the woman. I mean, the, he says a lot about the, the woman and that... This is one of the main things that a man has, he has to have it. It's in a man's DNA to have respect and honor. You know, one of the main things for a man is to go through his day and not look stupid. He wants to look honorable. He doesn't want to do something stupid. Oh, I, I was so stupid. I can't believe I did that. I just look so stupid. But, uh, so respect. And so, ladies, if you want to do something magnificent for your marriage, it can't be based upon, well, I'm just waiting on him to love me. Unconditional love. No, your job, your responsibility is to do this, and that is to honor and respect him. To make him feel like he is the knight in shining armor on a white stud. You may look at him and go, honey, he's on a donkey with a wooden stick. That's, that's what he is right now. And you know what? As far as looks, that may be it. But everybody say, by faith. Say it again, by faith. That's how you have to look at him. Honey, did you know, I just believe that you could run any company in America. You just have that leadership ability. You can do this. You can do all things. You know, we quote that scripture, you can do all things through Christ. But we tend to leave that scripture out when it comes to being a good wife or being a good husband. <laughs> Ouch. The wives, you need, don't ever, ever be critical of your husband in public. You In private, you could slap the snot out of him and it wouldn't hurt nearly as bad as you making him look bad in public. You got to make him look good. You got to make him look good. And I tell you, if you do that, I have a feeling he's going to have a tendency inside of him to fall over himself trying to show love toward you. So respect. And respect is a choice. Well, when he does it, when he starts deserving my respect, I give it to him. That's not the way it works. He may never deserve. Respect and honor, you know. He may never, but you you give it to him. You give it to him. Uh, now, don't get in a ditch on me and say, well, I've heard about so-and-so. His, uh, Her husband, you know, was abusive and everything. Well, of course, don't don't get in a, don't get stupid on me, okay? Don't, don't, get, uh, don't think like that. We're talking about in a normal situation, all right? And I think that's most of everybody here. So you, you show respect and honor. And sometimes you're going to have to do that. By faith. Melody's done that by faith. You know, this is one thing that set me free years ago. Melody said, you know, I'm a minister and I wanted to be, you know, all that God wanted me to be. And uh, she just said this out of the blue. She says, you know what, Mike? 
I don't care what you were doing. If you were working at McDonald's, if you were on the back of a garbage truck, I would still love you and be your wife. Man, that just, just set me free, you know? I mean, it just helped me to think that, wow, I, I didn't even respond because I was just, it just made me feel good that my wife would love me no matter what I did in life, as long as I was her husband, she was going to respect and honor me. Ladies, you can do tremendous for your marriage if you respect and honor your husband. Give it to him. Show it to him. Husband, you will do tremendous, tremendous great things for your marriage if you love your wife as Christ loved the church. And the church was unlovable. The church didn't... It did not want anything to do with God. It wanted its own way, its own rights, its own everything. God says, I can handle that. So, man, you can handle that. When you would think your wife, she just, you know, when we were first married, I thought, she just, she just never agrees with me. She just wants to do her own thing. She doesn't see things the way that I see them. And that's the way God created women. If he created them to see everything like you saw, he wouldn't need to create her. So that's why men, and this is the biggest conflict in marriage, is if she would, I just wanted her to agree every once in a while, when the moon was full, or sometimes just agree with me. And it just seemed like, no, I, I don't see it that way. Well, yeah, well, I knew that. What, a, what else is new? And so the, the argument started right there before I just thought, yeah, I knew, I know, I didn't, I didn't have to say that. But then when I started, you know, God started opening up my eyes that, you know what, it's different perspective. It's not that you're right and she's wrong. It's not that you're right and she's wrong and vice versa. It's that men and women see things from a different perspective and it's for the good. It's for the good. Instead of it saying, okay, I see it this way, but I know you're not going to see it this way, so tell me how you see it, honey. That's a whole different perspective and going, okay, go ahead, get the shotgun and just start shooting holes in my idea. I'm going down with the ship, you know, let's just drown. But when I started changing my attitude, like, okay, I see this and I realized God, God started, I know that statistic, but God told me, you married a smart woman. You married, she's smart. And I started seeing that. I didn't tell her right away, but I started seeing that, you know, I didn't. She's really, really smart. And then I got to thinking, she's smarter than me. So, okay, what do you think about this? It started making us come together as a team. God created marriage to be really, 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 really good. I mean, awesome. That's the way marriage is. If marriage isn't like that, it's because we're not seeing right. And you're not seeing your spouse the way that God sees them. And so, a husband, you need to see your wife like Christ sees you. I'm glad I don't have to be perfect and my father still loves me. I'm glad that I don't have to be just right to get his blessing. I can screw up and God says, you still have my favor, Mike. I can mess up. Healing has still already been purchased for you, Mike. I'm not taking it back. All of my promises to you, Mike, are always yes and amen. That's the kind of attitude husbands ought to have toward their wife. And I used to think, oh, I can't do this. And God says, in and of yourself, you cannot. That's why it's called 
grace. And husbands, you have that on the inside of you. Ladies and men, I don't want anybody to think that, you know, oh, wow. I have to really be submissive to that. I just, no, you missed the whole point if that's your attitude. You are equal to your husband. Matter of fact, you married a blessing from God. 